Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Utah Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson recently issued a challenge for more women to get involved in their communities and in politics. And Governor Spencer Cox and Lieutenant Governor Henderson have issued a 500-day roadmap, which includes a section on equality and opportunity. Today we'll talk about that section of the roadmap and issues such as the gender wage gap, women in public office, and opportunities for women in leadership in the private and public sectors. Our guest today will include Lieutenant Governor Henderson and Susan Madsen, who's the inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership at Utah State University and founder and director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project. This uh, one Utah roadmap issued by the governor and lieutenant governor includes uh, six priorities, which include economic advancement, education, innovation, and investment, rural matters, health security, state government efficiency. Those are the other five. And number five on this list is equality and opportunity. That's where we're going to focus uh, on the program today. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Susan Madsen right now, a conversation with Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson. So we want to talk about the uh, One Utah Roadmap. Uh, sounds like uh, quite an ambitious initiative. Uh, can you give us the, the high points here? Well, um, this is a, the roadmap is a result of our strategic priorities that we uh, campaigned on uh, and that we, during our transition, we had uh, a lot of people working on, on helping us, uh, you know, look at state agencies and, and look at policies and how we might put those strategic priorities into action. So the result is really a, a six-pillared plan. Um, that deals with economic advancement, um, education and innovation and investment, rural matters, health security, equality and opportunity, and then, of course, the, the last one is streamlining and modernizing state government. Uh, so uh, you, in the press release, you're quoted as uh, saying, we need more women leaders in government business in our communities, but we don't need them simply as experts on women's issues. Uh, is that what tends to happen? Well, I, I think it can sometimes. I mean, the the uh, the idea is sometimes that that uh, you know women or minorities you know might get involved and, and just really be leaned on for for issues that might seem relevant to them and and not other issues. And and my point simply is that we need voices from all different types of people, uh, all different walks of life in every aspect of government in order to make the best policies possible. Uh, so uh, I wonder if you talk a little bit about your your experience, your path. Uh, what was your decision like when you first decided to, to, to run for office? Well, you know, Tom, this is not something that I ever planned on doing in my life. Um, my, my, uh, my journey has been full of twists and turns. And uh, I, I got married really young. I had five children really young. Um, it's, been, it's been a long time, uh, you know, taking care of them and, and family and uh, really didn't get involved in politics uh, until my youngest started preschool. And then I, I you know, volunteered uh, for a congressional campaign, kind of got involved that way and, and, and basically fell into politics. And one thing led to another, and I ended up uh, running a, a political organization for a congressman for a few years, and and then when the opportunity uh, with a, an open state Senate seat came in, in uh, 2012, because of those experiences that I had had previously, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run for the state Senate. And uh, the, the experiences that I had helped prepare me for that. So I ran, and, and I won, 
And uh, I spent eight years in the Utah State Senate. And then, uh, you know, each, each of these decision points and each of these turns in the, in the road really did, of course, lead me to where I am now. But it wasn't something that I set out to do. Um, and, uh, and last year, uh, Spencer Cox, then Lieutenant Governor Cox, who was running for governor, asked me to, to join him as his running mate. And I was up for re-election to my third term in the Utah State Senate. It would have been a, a really easy re-election, and so it was quite a risk for me to take. It didn't always look like that uh, that Spencer would win, and so um, I, I decided, though, that, uh, that that he was worth the risk, and I and I joined him, and and uh, of course things turned out good for us, but. Uh, it didn't always look like it would, and I had to be okay with that. I had to be okay with the uh, Plan B, and um, I'm, I'm glad things turned out the way they did. But it was a, a an interesting and unexpected journey to get here. And now, of course, in a, a very prominent role, Lieutenant Governor, uh, do you uh, do you see yourself as a role model? Do you embrace that? Well, I certainly hope that I am. Uh, there have not been very many women elected to statewide office in the state of Utah. I believe I'm number three. And, uh, and, and, but there have been some really good, strong women that have come before me in, in other ways. And, you know, those are the role models that I look to. Of course, um, I really admire the work ethic and the leadership that Governor Aline Walker provided. She was the first woman elected as, as lieutenant governor. And she did a lot of really incredible things. Um, she was also in the Utah House of Representatives for a number of years before she became lieutenant governor. And so, you know, I, I look at those women of the past and, and I and see how they kind of paved the way for women like me. And I, and I really do hope um, that I can knock down a few more barriers and make the path smooth for the for the women who might come behind me. One of the points on uh, on the your initiative, the One Utah Roadmap, is uh, a commitment to recruiting and appointing a diverse group of Utahns, including women and people of color, to state boards and commissions. Uh, that, that, that's a point of entry for people and to public service. It absolutely is. It's a really important one, and one that not very many people know about. Um, we have several hundred boards and commissions in the state of Utah. Many of those positions are uh, appointments from the governor. And that's a really great opportunity for people to get their foot in the door, to get a little bit of experience. Um, you know, the way I started out in politics was volunteering. These are volunteer positions as well, which is a really, really good way to, to, to learn the ropes, to get some experience and, and potentially open doors for you down the road. Um, we would really like to see a, a better gender balance uh, in, in these boards and commissions. And that's something that we are, uh, Governor Cox and I are both very committed to, to making sure that we're not just reaching out to, to the same people who've had lots of opportunities uh, for, for you know, a long time, but we're also reaching out to new, new areas, new groups, um, new partners, and, and making sure that more people have the opportunity to have a voice in government. One of the items here on the roadmap is uh, an audit, internal audit, uh, considering pay equity in state agencies. That uh, it is a continuing problem? It is, and it's one that it surprises some people. A lot of people want to say that there's, there's no problem, and we've got pretty good uh, wage uh, parity. And if there are wage gaps, it's because some people are choosing um, to have jobs that pay less because they need more flexibility, or it's, it's just choices that people make. 
Um, but what's interesting is, uh, you know, we, we do want to have an in, this internal audit, but we've already had state agencies that have started looking internally at their own organizations to see what's actually there to peek under that hood. Um, we just met with GoEd yesterday, actually, and uh, and and they, you know, they've been looking at this themselves and found some areas that surprise them where they can do better and they're going to do better. It was just a matter of looking to see. Um, and 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 one of the things I think that COVID has done that's been really positive is we have figured out how to achieve more flexibility in the workplace, which is something that has been kind of difficult for for a long time. Um, you know, we we've expected people to come to work and do a certain thing and and kind of meet work where work is. And now we're figuring out how to take work home or, or, you know, make it more family friendly and have work meet people where they are. And I think that's the key to providing more opportunities for people. That's the key to making sure that we have more family friendly policies, which will help women, but it will help men. It will help all Utahns as we make things better for women. Another thing that we want to do is look at child care options and make sure that we um, are, are, you know, implementing uh, family leave policies and other things that are, are friendly toward women, but also friendly toward um, toward toward everyone, making, making sure we have strong families and, and access to jobs and opportunities that will help, you know, create economic opportunity for families. One of the bullet points here uh, addresses, um, I, I guess, uh, uh, lower numbers of women and people of, uh, in diverse communities in STEM industries. Uh, how to accomplish that? You, you mentioned skills and training programs. Well, uh, one of the things that, that's really important to, um, you know, Governor Cox and myself is to make sure that we are um, we are utilizing um, uh, our, our higher ed and that we're looking at innovation and in education, we're increasing funding, um, we're, we're uh, recruiting and, and retraining, uh, retaining and, and developing highly effective educators. Um, and then we're also, uh, you know, looking at industries and what their workforce needs are and making sure that our higher education institutions are training the proper, you know, the, the workforce that's needed um, and, and providing opportunities for this reskilling and um, retraining and upskilling that that as the economy has shifted, especially over this past year, that is so important um, to making sure that uh, people have the jobs that they need and that we, we can keep our economy strong. Uh, we're coming down to end of time here. Um, I noticed that this <laughs> struck me. This um, I hadn't expected this to be part of it. Uh, support for funding a new women's state historian. Uh, why, why is that important? Well, um, you, you've heard the old saying, you can't be what you can't see. And um, when it comes to history, uh, traditionally, you know, history is, is told by, I guess, the people in charge, right? The, the people in charge are the ones that end up telling the stories. And, and it, just because a story hasn't been told doesn't mean it didn't happen and doesn't mean it's not relevant and important. And one of the things that we've been focusing on over the past few years in our state is unearthing, excavating, and dusting off and highlighting the stories of 
really incredible Utah women. Um, and and so we, we've been working on this. And we've had a, there's an organization, Better Days 2020, that was working on this in conjunction with, um, you know, the, the 150th anniversary of women voting in Utah, the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment that all happened last year. And so we've we've got these wonderful, beautiful stories that have been excavated, but we, we don't really have a, a repository for them. So we've created this new position, the Director of Women's History, um, in, in our in our Department of, of History, in our Division of State History, um, to kind of be the keeper of those stories and, and, to, and to continue to tell those stories and to highlight them so that uh, people can become inspired and recognize where we've been so that we can understand where we are and, and plan for where we want to go. Well, we've been talking with Lieutenant Governor Henderson. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Give us some time. Thank you, Tom. You're listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, our thanks to Lieutenant Governor Henderson there. Uh, we are going to continue this discussion on the equality and opportunity section in the 500-day roadmap issued by the Utah Governor and Lieutenant Governor, uh, Governor Cox and Lieutenant Governor Henderson. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the gender wage gap, women in public office, opportunities for women in leadership in private and public sectors uh, following a break with Susan Madsen who is Karen Haight Huntsman, Endowed Professor of Leadership at Utah State University and Director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project. We'll have more following this break. Did you know that kindergartners can learn to code? Coding toys, which allow children to program simple sequences of light, sounds, or actions, are becoming more and more accessible to parents and educators. Research is ongoing to determine how these toys can enhance problem-solving skills and help foster early computational thinking. By studying the way kindergartners think and reason, researchers hope to evaluate the effectiveness of such toys so that educators can make more informed decisions about the toys they use in early childhood settings. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Utah Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson recently issued a challenge for more women to get involved in their communities and in politics. And Governor Cox, Lieutenant Governor Henderson have issued a 500-day roadmap. That includes a section on equality and opportunity. And we just talked about some of the uh, points there on that section with the Lieutenant Governor. Uh, we're going to be uh, taking up uh, more of this discussion uh, next with Susan Madsen, whose inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership in the Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University and founder and director of the Utah Women and Leadership uh, Project. So, Susan Madsen, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Important uh, topic today. Yes, definitely. Um, so... Uh, I guess the, the, the first thing there, anything you want to comment on, on what the lieutenant governor said, uh, you know, especially we'll be talking about several of these things, but uh, anything stood out to you uh, especially? I actually d did not hear her. I was linked in uh, after she was pretty much finished. Okay. So I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> yeah, so Very, I'm starting from scratch here. Very good. Uh, well, we, we uh, basically went uh, through, uh, you know, some of the main points of the um, – the section on equality and opportunity, 
Uh, let me right. remind uh, let me remind folks uh, that the roadmap includes sections on economic advancement, education, innovation, investment, uh, rural matters, health security, state government efficiency. Those are the other areas. But uh, this area of equality and opportunity, you're involved, I believe, in this area of the roadmap, aren't you? Absolutely. Uh, each of the six areas actually has three leaders, um, and so I am one of those three on the equality and opportunity section, and I'm working with Nubia Pena, who is the executive director over the Division of Multicultural um, Affairs, but also the new advisor to the governor and the lieutenant governor on equality and opportunity issues. And then also Jennifer Napier-Pierce, who many people know, um, has shifted over to be the governor's communication advisor. So the three of us are really leading um, the coordination and charge for the state specifically on this issue and working directly with Lieutenant Governor Henderson, who is wonderful. Both both uh, Governor Cox and the Lieutenant Governor are just 100% behind this work that we're doing and partnering specifically on this section with the Utah Women in Leadership Project as we, as you know, Tom, we have been for many, many years uh, leading the research and the development of resources and pushing things along on that front. So that's a, a little bit about the background of, of why I'm involved in this, but also the UWLP and the work there, because as we combine really efforts to better inform leaders and community members, uh, that's when things can really start moving you know, I talk often about moving the needle, but this is when we can actually move the needle a little bit faster than we've been in past years. I want to jump into some specifics there. Uh, one thing that I wish I had known before I talked to the lieutenant governor, by the way, we recorded that conversation a week or so ago to fit it into her busy schedule, um, is that she is currently her own intern right now. I don't know if you yes. knew that. Too. Yes, she is. yes, I know that. Um, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, I love that she has, I've known her for many years, and she has always believed in the importance of college and education, you know, graduating from high school, but, but for men and women to go to college and graduate. And, and so she has been working on that herself to be able to get her bachelor's degree, and I'm just so proud of her continuing to make that a priority, even with the busy life, because it matters that you have, have these degrees, and it really matters. Yeah, she's uh, getting her undergrad uh, degree, right? And and uh, so she needs some yeah. elective credits. So internship in the <laughs> lieutenant governor's office. Uh, she says that she'll be. Uh, she's got a great boss. Uh, she also <laughs> sa- also says that her staff said the interns open the mail. So she said maybe she'll have to do that. But uh, yeah, that's that's <laughs> delightful. Um, but but these um, you know turn this around a more serious note. Uh, these sorts of opportunities. Uh, are important, I think, right? Internships, um, you know, opportunities like this. Absolutely. They really are. I mean, and they're typically part of college degrees, especially many of the college degrees, and and really um, getting to, even for a limited time, like a semester, to actually take what you're learning and put it into action. And of course, you know, the lieutenant governor has done just that already, but uh, she did, does need those credits, and I think it's it's humorous in some ways. But for most people, whether they're returning students or students that just go more traditionally all the way through, having different experiences and hopefully really 
good experiences that you're just not not you know making copies <laughs> or something like that but you actually get to dig in and and do something great with your education and put it, putting that to practice to actually apply what you're learning those are critical for really moving then more seamlessly into paid work whether that's part time or full time or positions in the community whatever that is we have a question that's come in by email. I want to get to this uh, immediately. Uh, by the way, you can join this conversation by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. This question comes in from James in Washington, uh, Utah. Uh, he says, The recent resignation of the chair of the Salt Lake County Republican Party illustrates how some of the toxic personalities drawn to politics discourage others from getting involved. Uh, the question is, has Dr. Madsen explored strategies to include traditionally excluded communities from decision-making roles, such as proportional representation electoral systems, which has resulted in higher percentage of women and racial minorities in legislative bodies in other countries and uh, democratic lotteries? So I guess that's the first question. Have you explored any of these, uh, I guess, reforms? Well, I've been in conversations about some of those. Some of those reforms, you know, have to be, of course, passed through our legislature. And in past years, and I'm seeing, I'm being very blunt here, but in past years, and I'm seeing some changes, uh, we've really pushed back as a the state legislature with with anything that that is outside the the current practices. Um, and and I think those that will be changing. I think uh, there really are certain things that have been researched, and I'm not an expert on those, but we're looking into those as we move forward, that really do help, uh, you know, not just encourage, but give opportunities in different ways to women and people of different backgrounds in terms of race and, and ethnicity and so forth. But even the encouragement has needs to change. So we encourage more through the years white men to just because that's what we see. We see white men in those roles, so that's what we, even as women, oftentimes we encourage white men to apply. And as we're more thoughtful, as we're more, as we're really thinking really strategically more as individuals and as as a state, you know, encouraging actually women to step up. And, and women of color and people of color is going to be really important. So, so, uh, but I think, like I said, I'm not an expert on kind of the systems and processes to do that, but I know those conversations are, are definitely in the works. I'd like to bring to the fore uh, the example that uh, James uh, cites. I'm reading from the Deseret News uh, less than 24 hours after coming under fire for brushing off complaints from women within the Salt Lake County GOP about bullying from within the party. Salt Lake County Republican Chairman Scott Miller has resigned. Of course, these are allegations, but distressing that this is perhaps still happening. Oh, uh, we know it's still happening, Tom. <laughs> we know it's still happening. Uh, I know that from just many, many conversations that w- uh, from women who have stepped up to run or try attempt to run for office. And as we know, uh, uh, interestingly, when you look at around the country, not just in Utah, more women really do emerge from the Democratic Party than the Republican Party. 
So that's just not Utah. But generally in the state of, of Utah, you know, we see the same trends. And as you know, Tom, we have significantly more Republicans in the state of Utah than Democrats. And even when you look at our state legislature, more women, even with, you know, being lopsided in terms of, of having so many more Republicans here, we have more women that come up through the Democratic Party, even in the state of Utah. And that really happens because of so much unconscious bias, so many practices, so much, um, and I don't know if I would say so much. I, it's, it, I don't have pure data on this, but I do know that I have many women who have served, who continue to serve or have run for office that talk about this kind of behavior. So it's it wasn't a surprise, but I am very pleased that people are speaking out about it because it's just not acceptable as we move forward to treat certain people in different ways than other ways and try to keep, you know, the status quo in place uh, for for similar-looking men, similar-colored men being in place. What we know from the research very strongly continues to, continue, you know, to, to move forward is that when we have more diversity in uh, race and gender and other kinds of, of things, that decisions are better, that problem-solving is better, that innovation is better, that creativity, all of those things, we, we really need more today than ever before, right? But with this pandemic, it it and the, and the other complexity, um, you know, the complex situations. We've just got to have better decision making and and better innovation in what we do moving forward. So I'm I'm just glad that came. I'm not glad that happened. I'm not glad that that people are feeling bullied. But it doesn't surprise me based on the years of conversations I've had with many women running for and getting blocked. Um, out of office. But, uh, I, Tom, I do want to mention that I do know men that are that are really supportive of women, too. So it's not all men, but we definitely need to make some changes, particularly, in my opinion, in the, in the Republican Party to really be supportive of more diversity. If you just joined us, we're talking with Susan Madsen. Uh, she is inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman, endowed professor of leadership in the Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University, and she's founder and director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. You can find uh, them, Utah Women in Leadership Project, at usu.edu slash uwlp. Um, and, and by the way, I don't know if I've had a chance on air to welcome you to Utah State University. It used to be in uh, in Utah County, but... Uh, now, now with us, yes. so to speak. So, so that's yeah. great. Um, Thank you very much. I, I was at Utah Valley University for about eighteen years, and I've been on your show before, but just shifted last summer over to Utah State University, and just happy to be collaborating with all of all of USU, including you know Extension. So it's a good fit for the Utah Women in Leadership Project because Extension and statewide are all over the state of Utah, and we need this work. Um, we have women, obviously, girls and women all over the state, and I and I think we need this work in every you know, city and town and county around you around the state. So before uh, before I reintroduced you here, you were talking about the need for the benefits. You were talking about the benefits of having uh, women, more women in uh, in politics, more women in government, uh, public office. 
Um, and uh, and then noting again that uh, there is a need for more women uh, within, especially the Republican Party. So how does that happen? What are what are some things that uh, that can make change there? Well, supporting. Well, first of all, there needs to be some cultural change. So there's many things that that really that we can do with that. But, uh, you know, just starting from the base level of we as, as residents of the state and other folks that are running for office in different areas really need to be, think, be more thoughtful on actually uh, helping girls and women as well as boys and men aspire to lead. We know from the research that boys are socialized much more often to see themselves as future leaders and future politicians than our girls and women. So that is one thing that we can do. And also to really support the groups out there, the efforts out there to provide training and development and education to really help women as well, like Real Women Run that's hosted out of the YWCA. I'm on their board. Uh, the Women's Leadership Institute that's that's connected to the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce is also another group that has been working hard for years to provide resources and uh, and trainings, uh, cohorts that really help help women uh, understand, you know, and really give them connections with other politicians and good examples of, of women that have run and, and men as well. So those programs are important as well to move forward. And I think, again, as I don't have a big background in this, but looking for ways that really in changing practices and policies that really do kind of benefit everyone more on an equal playing field, I think those things are important as well. Um, and and I do have to say, you know, for all of us, reading the reports that we put out at the, at the UWLP um, help us understand where things are. And when you know where things are, then you can move forward. So as you know, Tom, we've had some recent reports specifically on women and politics in the state. And we are seeing some changes um, moving forward. We We took a step back in a couple of areas, but moved forward in terms of representation in other areas. Uh, recently, I, I was curious, I was talking, oh, several months ago with Holly Richardson, uh, who's the new uh, Utah Policy Daily editor, uh, of course, been involved in many things. I asked her how she got involved in politics, and for her, this is, I'll ask you if this is typical, uh, for her it was an issue, an issue that's important to her, and, and she decided to get involved, and then that was kind of a stepping stone. Absolutely. That's, that is one of the most common things that we've heard in our research. In our research, we've done our stats data, which is important. We do that all the time. But we also did some uh, qualitative research with 118 women around the state on why they ran for office and actually to make a difference and, and coming up with that issue that they really, you know, they're voters, but then they find this issue that needs to be changed. And they get involved in that. Um, one of the key issues that we found in our study on why women actually ran, however, was that they were asked or encouraged to run. That was our top one. So that's why I bring up we need to encourage because that is very strong with women. Um, and that need for women to really make a difference. And when they see an issue where they think their voice can, can really do something, that's, that's where it changes 
um, and, and providing opportunities for them to, even if it's in a city council meeting or something, to actually help, you know, use their voice to do something. Then they get that fire under them and think, you know what, I've, I can speak, I know the issues, maybe I need to run for office. And and one more thing I wanted to add there. So picking that issue, one of the things that we saw from our this research study was that dissatisfaction with the status quo. So they see something happening, something's just not right. Again, we could put that into the, the issue that, that Holly Richardson talked about, as you mentioned, but just saying, you know, something is not right there. The status quo is not working. It's not benefiting our families and our communities, and I need to do something. That could be part of the issue as well. One thing you mentioned in an op-ed where you present the findings of this survey, uh, you say that women mentioned, I guess this was more than once, kind of a running theme, they wanted a seat at the table. Yeah, absolutely. When you understand really uh, a lot of people, Tom, through the years have said we need to be what's called, I'm putting my fingers in quote, the quote marks, gender blind. Actually, uh, that has not worked and that doesn't work. You actually want to be informed about, yes, men and women come at different issues differently, but both perspectives are really important. And when you see something that's not right or whatever, there's there's a view that women have that's just different than men. Not every man, not every woman. And when you when you understand that your voice is important, that you can lean in and be involved and that actually it will benefit others to have more even numbers of men and women, then I think we can really both convince women to lean in and step forward, but also for for great supportive men to understand that, yes, let's invite or, or tap on the shoulder or nudge more women to run for office because I really do care about my community more than, than you know, the, the power struggles that are sometimes there. Let's take a break. Uh, now we'll come back with more with Susan Madsen. She's the uh, Karen Hunt Hens- Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership at Utah State University and Founder Director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project. Uh, we'll talk more following this break. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Utah State University MBA, offering a one- or two-year online MBA program available throughout the world. Learn from seasoned professionals and professors. Application deadline is June 15th. Information can be found at HuntsmanMBA.com. Support also... Support also comes from S.E. Needham Jewelers, offering custom jewelry consultations with on-premise designers and goldsmiths. Open 10 to 7, Monday through Saturday. Located in the middle of the block at the sign of the clock. Information at seneedham.com. Hi, it's Francis Lamb. Nothing says spring like seeds. And this week, we talked to Chef Dan Barber, who's been rethinking them. Imagine a squash that turns orange when ripe. A habanero with no heat or cucumbers whose fragrance you can smell from across the room. That's The Splendid Table from APM American Public Media. Tune in Sunday at noon here on Utah Public Radio.
Thanks for joining us for Access U Time. Tom Williams and my guest uh, this part of the program is Susan Madsen. She's the inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership in the Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University and founder and director of the Utah Women and Leadership Project. And we're talking about, uh, among other things, the section on equality and opportunity in the uh, 500-day roadmap, which has been issued by uh, Utah Governor uh, Spencer Cox and Utah Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson. Um, It includes uh, such elements as an internal audit led by the Governor's Office of Management and Budget concerning pay equity in state agencies. I want to get to talking about that a little bit as we go along. An audit led by the Department of Human Resource Management to establishing baseline of diverse leadership and workforce status in state agencies. Continuing effort to appoint women to positions of leadership. A commitment to recruit and appoint a diverse group of Utahns, including women and people of color, to state boards and commissions. A commitment to investing in skills and training programs to increase women and diverse communities in STEM industries. And support for funding a new women's state historian to prioritize the telling, collecting, and discovering of women's stories. I talked a little bit about that, uh, well, all of these with the Lieutenant Governor. Uh, Susan Madsen, this struck me, that last one, uh, support for funding a women's state historian. I wonder what your thoughts on that is. Yeah, I love that because uh, I've been partnering. The Utah Women in Leadership Project has partnered with Better Days 2020 through the years as they've done their work, and I'm not sure you're, I expect you're familiar with the Better Days 2020, but their work has just been phenomenal through the last probably three years, I think they've been doing that, really to to really build up to the celebration in 2020 of the, the right to vote and some other celebrations as well. And with all of the amazing resources that were developed through the years, I was very pleased to find that they had supported that position because we can't lose that. We don't want to lose that. And what the research does say that when you, as children, grow up hearing stories of both great men and great women who have impacted your communities, your societies, your states, your countries, that you it really impacts you moving forward in terms of the respect you have for men and women and seeing examples of women that have used their voices and have led. It's really important for girls to see themselves as future leaders, like I talked about just a minute minute ago, and also boys to grow up as, you know, in teenage years and so forth to know that that both men and women's voices are important. So this is very critical with their research or with the resources they've developed and the writings that they have and curriculum they've developed for teachers around the state of Utah. So I was really, really pleased with that one. I'm actually taking the the coordination lead on a few of the ones you mentioned. And the wage gap is one of those. And we've had some great meetings recently on on looking at what's happening with the wage gap and how, how we want to move forward. Tell me more about that. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, Lieutenant Governor Henderson says that, uh, I guess, a, a sample of people she talks to, lack of wage parity surprises the people she talks to. Is that, is, you find it surprising to people still after it's, it seems like it's been reported on a lot? Um, I think some people are still surprised, but I think most people know it's an issue. Um, The problem I continue to see, however, Tom, I'm just going to lay it out for you, is that the research through the years has been clear. It's continued to be clear. There's no doubt 
that there really is a gender wage gap. And it's even, I mean, Utah is one of the bottom states in terms of, you know, of that wage gap. I, or maybe it's the top. We have one of the widest wage gaps between men and women, and it still shows up about 70, 71, 72 cents on the dollar. And it's a complex topic because you have to get down and you can separate things, but it's a complex topic. But what we know is even if if you can show how some things, you know, there's reasons for some things, when we get down to it in every state in the nation, you continue to find just this discrimination. And it is there and it comes with unconscious bias. The piece that continues to surprise me about Utah is that we still have too many people saying, oh, I think it's a myth. Is it a myth? And it's like, oh, my gosh, it's not a myth. It is there. And until people get that, we're not going to move forward. I think most rational people that really understand the research really know that it is a problem. Maybe maybe you can justify away a little bit of that wage gap. But when you get down to it, 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 it is a problem. So that is um, kind of the thing that frustrates me because because I, you still get pushed back. And it just shows that we're not as as educated on that topic that we need to be. But more moving forward, I mean, the the leaders and businesses that we talk to and and converse with and in government, most of the leaders and so forth know that this really is a reality, and we just need to figure it out. And one of the best steps is to start this and conduct an internal assessment, which really is being conducted um, I think you mentioned by DHRM, which is the human resource, but really being conducted by the governor's office of planning and budget, some great people over there who have some great background in how to do that in ways that are really rigorous and, and will really give, give us a good look at what's going on in the state government. Well, give us an outline. Uh, what's the solution or solutions? What, uh, what can be done? Well, you know, the first step is to do the data, see what can be done. Um, and then there's other steps, of course. There's many steps in terms of, uh, of legislation, uh, things like, and by the way, I'm, I'm moving forward on getting someone who's going to do a whole look at other states and the kinds of legislation that's out there, what has been effective in other states, so that we really have a good baseline on of what we might consider this next legislative session. The other, on the other hand, in state government, and this, these efforts are really for state government, but the hope is that state government can then be an example, and then this will go to local government and, and schools and, and universities and businesses and so forth, that we do all that so everybody can benefit around the state, men and women, on these movements to move forward to make sure we have more equity in in the work that we do. So just small things uh, in terms of businesses and government and agencies and so forth. What we know is we can do better in terms of um, of just the recruiting and hiring processes and the salary negotiations and those things. There's a lot of unconscious bias that comes in into play. And what we can do is really learn more, make sure we have good, high-quality unconscious bias training, but put other things in process so we're really equally interviewing people that really need to be interviewed, like taking names off the, you know, the first round of resumes, right, or applications. 
that has, we, the research is hundreds of studies have found that that you know just at that point, and there really is you may not see a direct connection to salary, but it really does connect to salary. When you take names off for race or gender, you know that things start moving at least forward in that recruiting and interview process that then impact negotiations and so forth. So just even getting, there's many things like that that we can do um, that have been shown to make a difference in terms of not just hiring men and women, you know, the best people for the job, uh, whether they're man or woman, but then in those negotiations and salaries and offerings and promotions and salary increases as well. We're talking with Susan Madsen, uh, who is founder and director of the uh, Utah Women in Leadership Project. We have about uh, four or five minutes left. At the end of the program, by the way, we want to make some room for the first report from a new project, the Teen Reporter Corps. From the Uinta Basin, we have some uh, some teens who are doing some uh, some great work, and on a later program we'll feature a bunch of them. But we wanted to feature this first one, so that'll be coming up about five minutes. Uh, so, Susan Madsen, what else are you taking the lead on uh, in this section of the uh, roadmap? And and by the way, Nubia and Jennifer, we're all working together on all of them, but we're kind of splitting and conquering. So, one of the other ones is. Uh, Encouraging businesses to implement family-friendly and inclusive policies and and uh, just really excited about some possibilities to really partner with people, uh, you know, agencies to do this. We were in conversations recently with with uh, Dan Hemmert, who's, who's the new head of GOED, which is the Governor's Office of Economic Development, and their team is just really excited about moving forward with with some of these kinds of things to help businesses uh, understand the importance of family-friendly policies. So that's one area that we're really working with, like I said, GOED, but the Department of Workforce Services is already doing some great things on that, but also groups like Silicon Slopes and other groups of, of business leaders who have been during the pandemic, I have to say, Tom. So the pandemic has really shifted things, right, to to really being thinking more about flexible, being more flexible, which is a family-friendly policy. Uh, and we've been forced into it in Utah and across the country and across the world, I should say. So we've made some progress there. But working with business leaders and our agencies and local leaders is really going to help with that. So that's another one that, that I've, I've been taking the lead on and, and have plenty of other people involved with that as well. Um, so do we have time for one more? Yes. Or do you want, do you uh, have yeah, okay. Okay. just a couple so, of minutes, yes. And one of the other things that we're working on right now is really partnering uh, with the entities, uh, to really various entities to improve the status of Utah's women. So that more generally. So all the women's groups in the state, which we at the UWLP really partner with already, but also there's lots of great coalitions and and departments and organizations that are involved as well. For example, we have the Domestic Violence, Utah's Domestic Violence Coalition, and also the Utahns Against the Sexual Assault Coalition and groups like that that really, those kinds of things. You know, we're talking about women's leadership, but all the things that women deal with in life of, you know, homelessness and poverty and those issues those impact a woman's voice and her confidence as well. So 
the point with this one is to really take more time, and we're doing an asset map now in the process of really instead of you know having everybody do their own thing, really taking us a look at what's happening all around the state in these areas so that we can better partner and we can better collaborate on things that can really make a difference to move move us forward. Well, uh, much more to be said. We'll have to have you back to talk about more of uh, this, uh, including I think you have a ongoing um, project, a study about uh, how uh, COVID-19 has affected women. So to, a topic for another time. Uh, we've been talking with Susan Madsen. She's the inaugural Karen Haight Huntsman Endowed Professor of Leadership in the Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University and founder and director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. And you can find them at usu.edu slash uwlp. Susan Madsen, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Good to chat today. Good to chat. Thank you so much. So, as I mentioned before, um, we're, we're going to have, a, I think, an entire program on this in a few months as we collect some of these reports. We're involved in a new project with uh, Uinta County Library, the new Uinta Basin. We're going to expand this project uh, up to Cache uh, Valley as well. Uh, it's called Teen Reporter Corps. have some great young people uh, learning how to do reporting and then uh, going out and uh, creating some uh, great reports. So here's the first one. We wanted to feature this. And uh, so this is uh, Kylie Madsen's report as part of the Teen Reporter Corps. The history of indigenous people is a key part of Utah State history. The Uinta Basin where I live is home to the Ute Indian Tribe and the Uinta and Oray Reservation. While it seems most people agree students should learn about Native Americans as a part of our curriculum, there are questions about whether or not what we are learning is adequate. A lot of kids don't even know that Natives even still exist. A lot of people think that they're extinct because they only teach traditional lifestyles before Europeans got here and then they stop. So there's a lot that needs to be done. Shauna Filner teaches social studies at Uinta River High School. The Duchesne School is located on Uinta and Orrery Reservation, and because the school's charter is through the Ute Tribe, educators at the school work with tribal leaders in determining how Ute history is taught at the school. And while this may help, it's only a small piece of a larger picture. Milo Rouse is a student at Uinta High in Vernal and says he doesn't think he is learning enough when it comes to how history is taught. I believe that we are not taught equally about other cultures and we are mainly taught about the history of mainly Caucasian, Catholic, Mormon, and Christian people. Do you think you are taught properly about, properly about Native American culture? No, the majority of it is just their dances. Nationally, the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and conversations about social justice have led to more people discussing cultural representation and how American history is taught in school. It's a divisive issue. In North Ogden, students' parents were provided the option to opt their children at a Black History Month. The decision was reversed, but the conversation did concern many individuals and leaders in the state. However, not everyone believes there is a lack of representation in the curriculum. Jason Winder teaches social studies at Uinta High and says he is teaching his students an adequate amount about most cultures in the United States. James Head is a geography teacher at Uinta High. He says improvements have been made, but he sees room for more progress. It could use updating. It could be better. Another geography teacher at Uinta, Dennis Hole, agrees. I think it would be great to expand upon some of the cultures that we have. This is also the opinion of Failner, who you heard from earlier. From what I have seen with history education, even throughout the country, not just our state, the max amount of time that Native culture gets into the history curriculum is basically 
you know, what tribes were like before Europeans got here. They focus on, like, their traditional life ways and lifestyles. And then they might hit on the Trail of Tears or one of the wars that happened in the 1800s. So that's pretty much it. A solution to this issue is communication with leaders and representatives from the Native American tribes and nations in the United States to ensure their culture is taught properly. Filner says at Uinta River, the relationship that educators like her have with the Ute tribe makes a difference in how indigenous history and culture is taught. We have the, our unique situation of being ran by the tribe. Our charter is through the Ute tribe, so we definitely have a lot more culture in our school than in the surrounding districts. This is something Hull wants to improve at other schools in the area. We do a lot to work with the Ute tribe and then vice versa. They have clubs, they have organizations. I would like to see more of a Ute history class presented here and maybe their language taught here at the high school, as they do in some other cultures around. Head says he thinks an improvement he can make in his classroom is teaching more about how cultures interact with each other. Because I'm the only one in charge of the Geography 2 class, I try to bring that to the table when we do Geography 2 and look at more other cultures and look at beliefs and systems from their point of view. But even when teachers want to do these things to improve, they run into a big problem, time. Do we cover everything? No. Do we have time? No, we don't. So uh, what we do, you know, trimesters, we got to do a whole semesters in 12 weeks. Still had believes changes can be made by shifting the focus of how history is taught. Modern world history, we are trying to make it less Eurocentric and adding more things about India and Africa and other perspectives, which is the way it is written in the core, we're trying to update to reflect that better. Failner agrees. Every time they pick a standard, they should reach out to leaders in each of the different communities and ask them about what that standard means to their community and their group so they can know what to include in that standard. It's good to know how the America people as a whole were impacted by these events in history, but it's also good to know how individual groups were impacted. For Utah Public Radio, I'm Kylie Madsen. Make an appointment with Public Radio's favorite family doc on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. It'll be a jam-packed hour on healthy living, including this recipe for... Thai chicken soup. We always have a great time. So will you on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. Sunday afternoon at 1 here on Utah Public Radio. listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, also heard at upr.org.